In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Good morning, it's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ this morning. It's Thursday morning, looking out the window, the skies are beginning to clear. The Jazz Festival is on this weekend, of course, lots of excitement around Cork City. It's a great weekend. Um, this morning, as Irish people woke up, there was really terrible, but unfortunately very um, familiar news coming from the US. There's been a, another mass shooting in America. At least 22 people are dead uh, in a town of, called Lewiston, uh, Lewiston in Maine. Now, here's the thing. The police are still hunting for the shooter. He's an active shooter, armed and dangerous. His name is, is Robert Card. He's 40 years old and apparently he's a firearms instruct, instructor. So they're still searching for this guy. He's considered armed and dangerous as an active shooter situation. Around 60 people were injured and this is uh, the deadliest mass shooting in the US since August 2019. So obviously it's a huge international story, a story coming from the US today and there'll be more on that later but the police are involved in a huge manhunt there in Maine. Now, closer to home and a story that a lot of people would have uh, heard about over the past 48 hours and, and before, an inquest in Mallow yesterday heard that the skeletal remains found in a border up Terrace House on Beecher Street in the town on the 13th of January last year were identified uh, as being those of the late Tim O'Sullivan. Ralph Regal is the surgeon correspondent for the Irish Independence and he was at the inquest yesterday. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning, Joe. Ralph, uh, we can talk about the inquest in a second, but uh, first of all, it, it's often in this case we know the name of the person now and we didn't when, when the story first broke, but what did we know about Tim O'Sullivan? Uh, we learned quite a bit, actually. Um, he was born in Car Sivine in Kerry in 1939. And I suppose like a lot of Irish families at the time, given uh, that I suppose the employment prospects, the family relocated to the UK. So he was effectively brought up in the UK. He worked over there. He got married in the UK. But he was very proud of his Irish connections and he maintained uh, the family connections, uh, particularly to Kerry. So he was a regular visitor back um, to Ireland. Ireland. He had a number of sisters and a brother. Um, they were a tight-knit family. They they kept in contact with each other, usually by cards and letters, because one of his sisters moved to Australia. So he moved back to Ireland around, I think it was 90, the, the, the kind of the late 80s, and he purchased a property at Beecher Street in Mallow. Still maintained contact with his family, but then suddenly from Christmas 2001, that contact stopped. So there were no letters and um, letters that were written to him went unanswered. And his sister 
um, Noreen Foster, who was the lady that was based in in Australia. She came to, to Ireland and to the UK on a holiday with her family. And when they were in Ireland, they decided that they would go to Beecher Street just to check up and uh, try and, and find Tinny. So they went to the, the property. Um, it was locked. There was no answer. Um, repeated attempts to get an answer at the door failed. They looked through the window. They could see items on the table inside. It was apparent that those items hadn't been moved for some time. They went to neighbours and the neighbours who knew Timothy O'Sullivan said that they understood that he had moved back to the UK. But the family still weren't happy and they went to the Garda station and they said to the guards, look, we're trying to find Timothy O'Sullivan. The guards knew him and said that they understood as well that he had moved back to the UK. So the family took that as effectively a verification of, of the proceedings. And it, was, it wasn't until, as you mentioned, January the 13th last, when a Cork County Council crew actually went to the property. Uh, essentially, they went to the property because it had been deemed to be derelict for many years. There had been broken windows which were addressed by when the property was boarded up in about 2014, 2015. And then there had been repeated complaints about rodent infestations. Now, the council workers back in the around 14, 2014, 2015 couldn't get access to the back of the property to deal with it. And eventually it was decided that what they had to do was they were hiring rent to kill. They were going to drill out the locks on the front door and install new locks with the keys provided to rent to kill so that they could deal with um, whatever infestation issues were there. And three councilmen arrived, including Paula Donoghue. They drilled out the, um, the lock on the door. They found it very difficult to open the door because there was, I think, about three quarters of a foot of mail and posts directly behind the door. Eventually, it took several of them to force the door open, even though it was unlocked. And Mr. O'Donoghue, wearing a headlamp, decided he would just do a quick sweep of the interior of the property before they completed their work. And to his shock, when he looked into a bedroom, he didn't actually enter the bedroom. He stood at the bedroom door. He discovered what he thought were a pair of human legs sticking out under a duvet. So he looked twice, uh, was shocked, went back out to his two colleagues and said, look, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I've found a human body. And he brought his colleagues back in. They looked into the bedroom. Again, they didn't enter the bedroom. And they were also convinced that, yes, it was human remains. It looked like a human body that was untucked up in bed under um, blankets and with a coat laid on top of the bed. And they notified Gardy, and that's when this grim discovery was confirmed. Yeah. What, what struck me about this, Ralph, and that's a very good <laughs> synopsis of the, whole, of the whole story there, but what struck me about Tim O'Sullivan, uh, and maybe slightly different to other cases, this was a man who had a family that cared about him. This is, uh, they tried, uh, you know, obviously families move apart if people go to different parts of the world and that generation definitely people emigrated and stayed in touch by letter more than you know social media or, or, or phones that we'd use today but people cared about Tim O'Sullivan but still he went missing yeah and I think that's really the crux I mean we had the details of the tragedy and it is a tragedy that any person would die and then not be discovered for 22 years but I think the, re the real issue that arose yesterday was something that was raised by the family in terms of the fact that number one they believe that there's urgent reforms needed to derelict um, property regulations and protocols so that 
someone who dies in these circumstances that they don't go undiscovered for this extensive period of time and it's probably worth me just outlining there was a statement read by solicitor Fiona O'Sullivan of of O'Mara's solicitors they were acting on behalf of the O'Sullivan family and she read out a statement uh, to the coroner, uh, Dr. Michael Kennedy, on behalf of Aidan Shine, who was a nephew of Timothy O'Sullivan, <clears throat> but it was also read out on behalf of the entire O'Sullivan family. And it, briefly, what they said was, quotes, as a family, we acknowledge that we should have done more to locate our brother. We bear the weight of our own regret for not being able to find him earlier. And that is something we will carry with us always. Uh, we do not seek to lay blame but rather to emphasise to all parties involved that more could have been done. We also believe that Angarda Siakana and the local authorities involved could have shown more care and due diligence in this matter. We assumed the Gardaí would carry out a welfare check to confirm that the house was vacant. However, we now know that this was not done. The decision to board up the house without conducting internal checks highlights one of the many shortcomings in the current derelict property processes and surely concealed the truth about our brother's whereabouts for even longer. And they then called for a review of derelict property regulations and processes. And probably the most stark element of their statement was, quotes, we are deeply concerned that this tragedy may not be an isolated incident. In a nation with over 180,000 derelict properties, we worry that similar cases could remain hidden. And in response to that statement, Dr. Kennedy said that he he acknowledged what the family was saying and he would be writing to the relevant minister to underline those concerns. Because we've seen cases like this in Cork City recently. There was a case in in Blackpool where a man had been in in a house for several (coughs) years as well, wasn't there recently? Very much so, Joe. I mean, I I cover these cases. um, They're very unfortunate. They're very tragic. They're very poignant cases, but they do crop up at relatively regular intervals. I mean, I remember a case of a man uh, on the north side a number of years ago, and when he was found, he was completely mummified because he had died in the house. The heating was on and whatever environmental factors were there, the man actually mummified. There's been other cases where people haven't been found for a couple of years, but it just seems absolutely extraordinary that a man can die and not be discovered in his house for 22 years. And it's not, I should put stress as well, this isn't a house that's, you know, on the top of a mountain or hidden in the middle of a forest. This house is on Beecher Street. It's one of the busiest roads in Mallow because it's used as a little bit of a rat run. And it's literally just 100 metres from the main Cork to Limerick Road. Yeah, Ralph, one of the things that struck me about the inquest, there was a very kind of, I don't know, human moment because he had kept a little diary and they found a diary. And one of the things that he recorded, one of the last, the very last entries in this diary was saying that, oh, today I went to Tesco for the first ever time and I, and I did my shopping yeah. in Tesco. And I mean, you know, even from that little detail, you can tell something about Tim O'Sullivan and the man he might have been because he, he obviously, you know, he, he was a man who lived a life, a quiet life, it seems, didn't know many, many people, but he, but he still, he, he did live a life. And he probably, and as the family eloquently said yesterday, he deserved a, he des- he deserved a better end to it than, than he got, didn't he? Yeah, very much so. And I think you you really get a a flavor of the person. And that diary entry was very, very moving that, you know, that that someone would would, would go and and note that going to Tesco for the first time. And why that's particularly interesting is that one of the things that that Gardy used to narrow down the time period for when Mr. O'Sullivan um, most likely died. And it, it certainly appears that, I mean, he seems to have died sometime between January the 9th 
and January the 23rd, 2001. And the January 9th date is relevant because he had a Tesco receipt for groceries and it was dated uh, January the 9th. Um, I think it was also quite moving that one of the possessions that he had was actually the memorial card for his mother, Mary. Uh, Apparently he was very close to her and that was actually amongst his possessions as well. When I lived in London, um, the the Irish Centre in London does amazing work with that generation that went in the 60s and 70s and many of them kind of fell through the cracks because either they didn't get married or they, they got separated from their families and communication broke down because back in the 60s and 70s you if you went to London you know or if you went to the UK in many cases that was a, a, a good distance away and people didn't stay in touch so much but it's it's just strange to me that people in London there were regularly cases of, of elderly Irish men who basically got, were completely forgotten about and homeless in, in some cases but it's just strange as well to me that, that this man could come back from the UK and, and, you know, have a life here in Ireland, but also fell through the cracks. I suppose the one thing that strikes a lot, I don't know that the guards even have such a thing as a welfare check in 2001. I mean, but it's something obviously that the force is going to have to take more seriously and, and councils as well, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose the two elements of it are one is that the family did their very best. Yeah. I mean, the family went to the guards, uh, the family did raise their concerns, and they were assured that he had moved back to the UK. But then, of course, all attempts to contact him in the UK failed. I think really what they want to see is that the processes and the protocols are improved and streamlined, and that, as you mentioned, these loopholes and that these cracks are addressed. And of course, one of the problems was that Cork County Council were, were aware quite early that this was a, a problem property that there was windows broken yes. on it. There was council staff sent there to board it up. But the council found it extremely difficult to clarify who actually owned the property. Yes. And that was, again, one of the issues. So what they want, the family are basically saying, is that they want a single place where a local authority or a health board or the guards can go to to determine the ownership of buildings. And that will make their jobs an awful lot well, easier that, as well. That would actually, a, reg, a proper register of ownership of properties would help a lot because I mean, in my neighbourhood up around Barrick Street, there's been derelict houses and people have no idea who owns them. And you talk to locals and they kind of think, oh, well, I think that that's his his mother died and he moved away I think he's the guy who owns it but you can also see with Timmy uh, O'Sullivan with this with the man in Mallow um, how maybe one person kind of said when, when questions were being asked oh I think he went back to the UK and then that just became the accepted kind of like explanation as to why why the man uh, was was missing but the, the family must have been heartbroken I mean they, they, they obviously took 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 this to heart didn't they I think very much so. I think um, probably the extensive media coverage was part of the issue as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly um, one of the things that was stressed to us yesterday when their statement was released was that they're very private people. It has been a very difficult time for them and that they want their their privacy respected, which is perfectly understandable given, you know, the difficult uh, circumstances involved in this. And I think really... Again, if you look at the family statement, what they really want is they don't want any other family to go through yes. what they've gone through. Okay. And, and, and like I said, they, what the statement that they released was eloquent and it raised very important issues. And, and Rav, thanks very much for talking to us this morning about that really My tragic pleasure. case in Mallow. Thank you. Thanks, um, Joe. Joe O'Shea sitting in for PJ this morning. Um, now, just before the break, we were talking about that man who tragically was dead in a house for 22 years in Mallow. Timothy O'Sullivan was his name. We now are going to talk to a man who is well known in the city for his work with the over 60s. Good morning, Paddy O'Brien. 
Yeah, good morning, uh, Joe. And the first thing I would do, I would uh, sympathize, sympathize with his relatives. And I would have to say as well that I know the people of Mallow for many, many years and the great work being done down there for the elderly. And it was very regrettable what had happened. I would say as well, Joe, that <clears throat> this is not a blaming game. There's nobody to blame. Mm. There's nobody to blame. But it has taught us all a lesson. And that is that if we don't doubt about something in relation to you think there's a person inside the house and you haven't seen him for a long time, do something yourself. Yeah. Do something yourself. Uh, and I would say, I've been saying for years, <clears throat> a knock on the door can save a life. Yeah. Now, and I've been, I told you, I was speaking at a function at the Radisson Hotel last uh, Friday night. Um, about the aged, and I made, I think that was a very relevant statement in relation to this, this tragedy. I said, in, in Ireland, or in Cork, rather, in Cork City County, we have 18,500 people living alone, and many of these people are housebound. And I think it's a miracle that we don't have more tragedies because we don't have enough services. We don't have enough of uh, public health buses called on them. And what we need are visiting committees in every parish. Yes. They might seem something big, but it's something simple. Setting up a small group of people who would trace the elderly people living alone. And there are many. There are eight and a half thousand living alone. As I've already said, some of them are housebound. So to avoid tragedies, future tragedies, something must be done. That we must all be more vigilant. He said it was an expression used there by the previous speaker. He said people assumed such a thing, assumed such a thing. Um, <clears throat> all the tragedies that, that have occurred in Ireland over the last couple of years, there was one in Madden's buildings, there was one in Midland, there was one in Tonmel, the dead for two years. Every, everyone, not cast any expression on them, but people said they assumed that the person was trying to sit on mother. Yeah. They were going down the country. They were going to, uh, this, don't assume anything. If you have any doubt, and you do not have to be a member of any organization mm. to knock on the door and say to anyone, are you all right? I was worried about you. And that's a very strong message, and it should, put, it should be put into every... Everyone should be aware of this. Don't depend on another person. And this is not a blaming game. As I said at the outset, the elderly people are well being looked after by the people in, in, in Mallow and throughout the country that. But sometimes it's something like this would happen. So it will avoid it happening again. All of us would be more vigilant. And I think it's important and people should give it some consideration in the visiting committee. Yeah, because, Paddy, that's a very practical thing that people think that people can do. And even if you're a member of, like, I don't know, a GAA club or if you yeah. have a regular... <laughs> Bridge club or any kind of thing. Yeah. If, if you're connected to a group of friends, uh, our neighbours, it's it's relatively easy to even organise a WhatsApp group and say, right, there's we know that there's six elderly people living in the area alone. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just set yeah. up a, a rota, and one of us will call, knock that's on their it. door. Now, once, once Joe, that's a very good point you made. A very yeah. relevant point you made. When President Mary, president, president, she. Uh, in association with the GAA, set up committees in every town that they would look after the elderly of the area. And that was very well, that was very well, well at, at the time. But I know it's very, very sad. It's very sad. But what must happen is this. 
We must stop working now, saying we must avoid it happening again in our village, in our town, in our, in our city. And we all, I say we all, no matter where you are now, this is this program, we all have a contribution to make about being vigilant and saying to myself, when did I see Mrs. Murphy last? Yeah. When did I see Mr. Murphy last? I just knock on the door. I was worried about you. You want something from the shop? Yes. Can I? Can you? Can you drive you someplace? We we must. But I. But I will have to say this as well, <clears throat> Joe. That despite the fact that great work being done by work co- committees, um, there's not enough contact. I'm always concerned about the people who live alone, and I have been for many for many years. And as I was speaking to Radisson last Friday night, I, I put a lot of emphasis on this. So many people living alone, and so many are housebound. And they make the situation worse. Many of the people who are housebound and living alone, they've no contact with the outside world. Many don't, don't have, to have mobile phones. So it's so, I keep on saying, it's so important. It's one of the most important things people tend to do now to avoid a repetition of this awful tragedy. Yes. Knock on the door yeah. and you could save a life. Paddy, and I suppose even apart from that, you can make a huge difference. I, I'd say you come across a lot of loneliness, do you, yeah. in, in, what you in, in, in the work that you well, do? I, I do, I do. I mean, I've been working for many, many years trying to combat loneliness. I started the over 60s back in 1977. Um, to combat loneliness, combat loneliness, get people out of their homes. There are people living, there are people living alone in Cork City, and they could four or five days without speaking to anybody. I, I speak to people inside nursing homes. Their own sons and daughters don't even visit them. Their own sons and daughters do not visit their parents in nursing homes. These are not isolated cases. These are facts. The staff would tell me. I go to. I, I, <clears throat> I go to nursing homes today and put on a show with past winners of the over 60s in a nursing home in Cork and I know that I would speak to people not that the, the way we're going to and all the nursing homes people get lonely but some of them get upset they yes. feel hurt when their own families just abandon them and ignore them yeah. and when, when I'm, I, I grew up in the city centre I moved to Whip and away <laughs> for a long long time then I came back and one thing that I noticed is what the this the, streets have changed. There's lots of people from outside of Cork who've moved to the city centre. They're living there. And that's fine. That's great. It's a new life in the yeah. city. But but it's kind of broken down the traditional sort of community where people knew each other and that's looked, after, looked you're, out you're, for you're each other. Right. I mean, I go to areas, build up areas in Cork, and I'm not going to mention the areas. The people there, where there's a high concentration of elderly people that are living in one house, there'd be an elderly person living next, uh, both sides and across the way. And um, they don't even know each other. But and I'm going to cut back again what President Mary McAleese said to the GAA. And it was, it was very effective then, whether it was operational now or not, I don't know. She said, go out and look after the elder in your parish. I know Glenn Rovers did it in Blackpool. Yeah. And they used to meet on a Tuesday, think, and go in and play kind of indoor games and have outings. And they did that. And they gave every club in the country. And if every organization, rugby clubs, golf clubs, because uh, um, loneliness... Loneliness is um is a silent disease. Yes. Um people don't speak about it and loneliness is what like one of the conventional diseases that kills people. Yeah. I mean all many of us will be there one day. Many of us yeah, will be there. And there's one there's one there's one cure yeah. for loneliness and that's the human touch. Yeah. Visitation. Well Paddy, listen, that's a, it's a, it's an important message, it's a great message. We hear it often but maybe we don't act on it enough. So exactly, don't yeah. assume, check, knock on the door. Yeah, exactly, John. Knock on the door and, yeah. such, and you can save a life. Yeah.
Thanks very much for talking. Thanks, you very much for having me on. Thank Bye. you. Okay, we're going to move now to in a different direction, and one that I'm personally very invested in because I, I work in the city centre. I'm up and down Patrick Street most days, and and around Oliver Plunkett Street, and buskers in Cork City. Something everybody has an opinion on uh, on in Le- on Lee side. Um, Dylan Brickley, good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Good, good. Dylan, you're, a ver- you're probably the best-known busker, one of the best-known buskers, are, and musicians, in fact, in Cork City, because everybody will know you. If they don't know your name, they'll, they'll know you from, from seeing you playing on Patrick Street and other areas. Dylan, the reason we were talking to you, Cork City Council is, is, has opened a public consultation process. They're thinking, well, they're, they're looking at bringing in regulations that will affect buskers in Cork City. Now, I won't give all of the regulations, but there's, qu- there's quite a few. One of them being that they're going to tackle amplification that are going to put noise limits on people they're going to put uh, also if you want to use an amplifier you have to pay for a license you have to get a permit and there's other still loads of other stuff as well there's an age limit you have to be over 18 and if you're not you have to have a guardian present you also have to have a repertoire of that's enough songs to keep you going for at least 30 minutes so you can't just play House of the Rising Sun over and over again Um, Dylan what do you think about this when you heard about this as a busker yourself what did you think about this news um, well, I've seen a few. I've seen a few like articles in the in the past few years trying to bring in uh, regulation and stuff. To be honest, um, like if like I've I've been in cities before that there has been regulations and that you can only play. We'll say you have to move on after two hours and yeah. stuff like that. But and I was fine. Like we were all fine with that. And um, I haven't been in in town busking in months. To be honest, but I'll probably be back for Christmas now and. Um, but like myself and my friends that I know through it, um, like we'd all like have a kind of a policy ourselves. As in, if somebody came up to us and asked us, um, "Can I can I sing after you? Like, how long will you be?" Like, we wouldn't be saying, "Oh, we're here for four hours or five yeah. hours." Like, we'd be there for two hours and move on somewhere else if you want, or just finish up. But um, do you yeah, use I mean, ampl- do, you, do you use an amplifier yourself? Yeah, I do. Right. And do you ever kind of, do you have, do you set your own limits? Do you ever think like, you know, I don't want to blast people out of it here? Yeah, like, you know, you, you don't want to be too loud, I suppose, you know, mm-hmm. because if you're, you, you can have to kind of, you have to judge it right and, you know, you have to take consideration for the businesses as well and, you know, but then, then again, like, a lot of, a lot of, um, places that myself and my friend there have travelled to, even in Cork as well, a lot of people want, would like you outside their shop, you know, and um, they've, like, there was a shop there in town, they, they used to, like, draw coffees, no donuts and all that stuff, and mm. they used to like us playing outside, because they thought it used to draw customers into their shop, you know. People will stop, they listen to the music, and then they'll notice the donut shop and go, oh, donuts, yeah, maybe I, got, yeah. Might, get, I might get one of them. Do, do you use it, backing yeah. tracks? Um, I have done in the past, yeah, but I'd be mostly guitar. And yeah, I know you. I know you play guitar, but they'll knock out backing tracks. Will be off the off the table altogether. You won't be able to. You won't be able to sing to a backing track in Cork under these rules. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna affect a lot of people because there are quite a few buskers in Cork or street performers, whatever you want to call them, that do use backing tracks and sing along to kind of like hits of the day. Do you think that's fair? I. To be honest, I, I don't uh, because, like, 
not not even about myself because I, I, I can play guitar and all that but I know a lot of the other musicians can play instruments as well but I've walked down now um, Oliver Plunkett Street a few times and I've seen people using backing tracks in the background we'll say but they're playing violin to, to the yeah. do you know they're playing uh, like and they're, they're top class musicians as well um, and it's nice like and it draws a nice crowd I think busking like creates a nice atmosphere and a lot of tourists like it and yeah. So you know, music just makes people feel something, you know. And um, it was always, I, I it was always there in Cork, wasn't it? I mean, uh, uh, going back to as, as young as I can remember, Christmas was always the time you'd see people around singing, playing a tin whistle, whatever. And it kind of never really, to me, it, it never really mattered if somebody had a bit of talent and if they were going for it, and 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 if the, you know, it didn't matter what they were playing or how they were playing. I've seen people playing the spoons for God's sake and still yeah. getting a good sound out of it. Is it? Like, like, you'll have to get a permit to busk in Cork City. I think it's 30, proposes 30 euros a year for, um, for, uh, if you're not using amplifiers. I think 60 if you are. Uh, you're going to be you're limited to two hours, uh, also limited to certain spaces, which are going to be clearly marked out. Do you think it's going yeah. to, is it going, will it, would it improve the quality, so to speak? Would it force people to up their game or maybe get rid of maybe some chancers that maybe don't have any talent at all and just inflicting themselves on the public? I'm not too sure. Like, you know, I, I'm kind of, like, I, I'm talking about, like, the people that I kind of know through it and yeah. a, a lot of the people I've seen are fairly talented and a lot of a, a lot of my friends that do it and myself included, like, we're kind of, we've been just, like, doing busking as a bit of a stepping stone and, yeah. you know, without it, we would have lost out on a lot of opportunities. Like, we, we, we were playing Electric Picnic this year due to a busking thing and, you know, I played Independence Festival a couple of years back and all this travelling around, none of it would have been possible without busking. So, that's a very good point because I think, like, Ed Sheeran didn't, he, he started off busking and there's been lots and lots of, of really famous musicians who kind of, you know, came up the hard way which is literally playing on the streets would we miss out on that if we kind of limit it if we regulate it if we kind of say to people you can't just get your guitar out and start playing you have to go and and get a permit from the Cork City Council would we stop would we kind of take away a very important stepping stone for for talented people I think so to be honest because like you even look back at a lot of um, people that are after finding success off it you now, like Dorma Kennedy, Keen Du Crow, and like they've all said in interviews like that Boskin developed them as an artist and like helped them improve, helped them, yeah. you know, just uh, deal with audiences and so even their songwriting. Like you know, I think it, I think Cork is great talent and you know. Um, I think, yeah, it would be a shame if people stopped doing it, like, you know. Yeah, and it's a very good show on Keen to Crow because I saw during the week there his his picture uh, in a four stories high in Times Square in New York as a sort of a Spotify ad on a billboard for new talent being discovered. And you're right, he's from Passage. He started off busking around town and now he's got an international career building. Yeah, that's it, like, and I, I can remember the, the early days there when we were you know, just uh, hitting, we'll say, 18 and a small bit older, but, like, we used to always go out and just go to open mics, and Keen used to be with us as well, and he moved to England then, and he's after blowing up, like, which is great to yeah. see, but, like, if any bit, if he was back in Cork, you know, are you telling me any any business would stop him from busking outside yeah. their, their shop? Like, they'd only love for him to be there, and imagine the crowd. Dorma Kennedy was up in Dublin as well, 
back at Christmas time, I think, and yes. he's playing on a on a rooftop and gathered thousands around the streets and you know, like I don't know, I th- I think I, I've always had a, I, I've always had like fun memories. I, I've 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 the happiest memories busking in Cork and even in other cities as well and met some incredible people along the way so I can't really yeah, I can't really talk yeah. negatively about it. Yeah, here's a confession from me. I used to do it when I was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Every Saturday in front of Brown Thomas, but that's going back. Uh, that's, that's going back to the steam-powered era of amplif- amplification. But um, but Dylan, listen, thanks for much for talking to us. And what are you up to at the moment now yourself? So the last few months there, I, I just took a break from busking. To be honest, yeah. um, I've been songwriting now at the moment with a with a couple of people and uh, just releasing music at the moment and. I've had a couple of, uh, I, I, I've had a bit of success on like Spotify and iTunes. I, I had two number, two number one singles there this year, and um, yeah, things are going well. Good. Um, gonna gonna try and do a show now soon, maybe in the new year. And uh, in Cork, also there'll be a busking, there'll be a busking fundraiser as well for Cork Penny Dinners this Christmas. Brilliant. We do it every year, and. Yeah. It's going to be bigger than ever this year. We'll we, we look out for that. We look out for that, and that's great, yeah, Dylan, because it's a fantastic charity. Thanks so much for talking to us this morning, Dylan. No problem. Good luck. Oh, Shay's sitting in for PJ this morning. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about buskers in Cork City and the council's plans to regulate them, and we have Kate on the line. Kate, are you a fan of the buskers? Yes, I love it. I was in last Saturday, and there was a couple of lads playing and um, some other small groups playing around. It's lovely. I mean, if you add to the atmosphere of the city... And they have it in Grafton Street in Dublin, too. I think, you know, it's hard enough to get people into Cork City. Yeah. You know? And draw them in. I just think it's okay. No, there's one or two chances, all right. <laughs> and everybody knows them. And you just the same song over and over, you know? You feel we, like shooting them, you know? Yeah, we won't. We won't, <laughs> we won't mention any names. I've, I've regularly, oh, no, I've regularly no, been no deafened. Idea. I've regularly been deafened when I'm going out for a coffee. Because there yeah. are a couple of a couple of groups, uh, maybe, that have, like, the kind of the kind of amplification systems that Motorhead would have used. Yeah. In their in their heyday, you know, but yeah. so, well, the council, I, I, the, the council, sorry, the council will say like this is fine. We're not trying to stop them. We just want to make, we just want to make raise the quality, maybe. Uh, for God's sake, sure. listen. How many of the artists that we have today started as buskers? Yeah, yeah. Didn't uh, you two start as buskers when they were young fellas in Grafton Street somewhere like that? Yeah, no, yeah, they did. When, well, they played yeah in the Dandelion Market, I think, which is practically just yeah. a small step up from busking, yeah. basically. And like, right. you know, we, our own Keen De Crow, you know, we've he's he's becoming an international, um, yeah. you know, musician, uh, famous. And he had a cheering for God's sake. Yeah. He was a young lad. Yeah, yeah. I think it's lovely. I think it's, if anything, listen, they're not causing any trouble. Mm. Yeah, that's I mean, true. It's just bringing a bit of joy to the city. Yeah. I have no problem with it. I love them. Okay, Kate, well, listen, that's Kate, great. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Okay. No, we'll uh, we'll swerve left uh, because one of the big issues as we head towards an election next year is going to be how we welcome and how we house and how we deal with refugees. Um, it's become a big issue uh, with the government now signalling that they're going to make changes to how the state supports people who are fleeing war in countries like Ukraine. Kira Phelan is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Good morning, Kira. Good morning, Joe. Yeah. Carol, what, what are the government looking at doing? What, what's, what, what, are their, what are their proposals? 
Yeah, so um, like you mentioned there, uh, re-examining essentially how the state offers accommodation and social welfare to Ukrainians in particular. So we have seen, um, according to Tana Shamihal Martin, made reference to this earlier this week, that there has been a rise in what they're describing secondary movements. So this is where Ukrainians initially go to another EU country but are now coming to Ireland instead and we are seeing an increase in the number of Ukrainians that are, are arriving here and um, the government is very much at capacity in terms of accommodation and the feel now that a shift is needed in terms of how and um, we are offering shelter to those who are fleeing war so it's happening for a number of reasons and um, there's suggestions uh, even by the Taoiseach last night that um, you know, he told a private Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting that our offering of accommodation and social welfare is better than EU countries so obviously that's a pull factor here um, but as well the government particularly Integration Minister Roderick O'Gorman the Green Party uh, TD and Minister is trying to put in a medium to long term approach so essentially the government it wants to move now from a, an emergency response 18 months in after the war broke out in Ukraine to now a more longer term approach whereby you know we need to get Ukrainians to integrate um into into the community more quickly and essentially um you know we are an outlier in terms of the hotels hostels and B&B accommodation that we offer to Ukrainians and for two reasons one it's it's not good for um you know Ukrainians that are living in the hotels especially for children we, we all know um, it can have development issues for children. And secondly, um, for the tourism industry, they've been yes. saying for some time now that, um, you know, tourism in small towns and villages, and, and I'm sure many um, towns and villages in Cork have had a negative impact in terms of, um, you know, attractions to tourism there because people can't get a room in a hotel and the impact of that on local businesses as well. Yeah. So we're definitely now seeing a shift in uh, the policy and how we offer accommodation. So there'll be a time limit. Well, is that one of the proposals being considered? Oh. A three months. So if you come here from Ukraine, uh, you get accommodation for three months. But after that, then you're you're expected to come with some help, of course, and state uh, and some supports. But you're expected then to go, to kind of go out and find find your own accommodation. Yeah, that's it. So essentially, the officials in the Department of Integration and Taoiseach are saying that you know after ninety days, essentially. Um, which is in line with other EU countries, uh, but you have to go find your own housing in either the private rental sector or through the offer a home scheme. Now, the offer a home scheme is whereby, you know, maybe um, an individual had a second property that was been vacant, such as like a holiday home, and they offered it up for um, Ukrainian families and in return will say that landlord, the owner of the property, was getting €800 Euro a payment a month by the state. Um, there's about 5,000 homes being used at the moment through this offer home scheme and just under 9,000 homes through, you know, uh, they called for um, homeowners if they had a, f- a spare room in their their um, house, essentially, that they if Ukrainians could stay in the house with them. So there's two different streams of that there. And then obviously the issue that has arisen and caused this row at Cabinet is that, you know, well, Ukrainians that arrived here, we're, we're seeing about seven to 800 every week at the moment. Yes. And if they have to find their own accommodation after 90 days where are they going to find that accommodation given that we're so very much aware of the housing crisis in Ireland at the moment particularly the rental sector 
Yeah, and uh, there are, I believe, 100,000 Ukrainians in, in Ireland at the moment. And yeah, we're um, near enough, yeah. And that that's, it's a huge figure when you think about it from a, for a relatively small country. Now, Ireland, for for I suppose historical reasons, would be a place that will welcome refugees. But yeah. it, it it also it puts a strain. I mean, you know, we have to be honest about this as well because we we were at capacity almost before the war in, in Ukraine, before Russia's brutal invasion of of Ukraine. We were at capacity. We were in a housing crisis already. So this is the government must be looking at this and must be very worried that basically these are extra stresses on an already stressed uh, market? Yeah, I think there's two areas you have to look at. And obviously, um, you know, I know the Taoiseach made reference to his um, party meeting last night that, you know, in, in many years to come that you think that we as a country would be so proud as to how we have opened our homes and country to um, hundred thousands of people essentially fleeing war, like their homes being destroyed. Um, but also... Well, we're at a stage now where we are at capacity, like you mentioned, um, and that we do need to find an alternative solution. Yeah. Um, you know, we a lot of people are asking and calling on the government, you know, to stop taking in Ukrainians and refugees because it's, you know, some of them are living in inhumane conditions. However, as a country, we're obliged under um, EU law that we take in as many people as possible. And the same goes for international protection applicants. Um, under international law, Ireland has an obligation um, and everyone has a right to seek international protection in a safe country. Um, and, you know, that's where you see um, them seeking asylum and whether they can stay here so you know but what had emerged at cabinet in recent days was essentially concern about this new 90 day plan and how that was going to impact the housing figures here and I suppose Joe you have to take into consideration as well that we obviously have a significant homelessness crisis here we've over 12,000 people homeless Um, it's a record high it's um, rising every month for the last couple of months, um, consecutive months we've seen a record set and I suppose politically as well the government are looking at if it is the case that the 90 day plan rule uh, results in Ukrainians ending up being homeless yes. that's also going to impact those figures which is not a good look for this no, government. No not at all and I suppose as well with an election heading into an election year as well I mean this oh. has become a, a hot a hot topic it's good I suppose that we're talking about it because you know it, it has to be talked about because it, this is the reality we can't just kind of blindly say we'll take as many as want to come here because you know everything's fine and it's great because if we don't allow people to talk about if we don't have this debate then you open the door to kind of like far right kind of types who can kind of stir up trouble about this yeah and I think look I think it's fair to say over the last couple of months and I've been watching how this um, story is developing you know I, I have noticed you know some opposition party TDs would bring up the matter in the doll and essentially they, they are being criticised yeah. by government TDs essentially you know some would claim that they're trying to shut down debate now others would argue that there are some opposition TDs that have raised this there is an undertone in their argument and they may be you know somewhat may not be as careful in the words and fanning the flames of those who might be totally against um, any, any uh, kind of Ukrainians coming, coming here yeah yeah okay. yeah, yeah and 
Yeah. Well, Kira, yeah, listen. Yes, so I think I think election time, election wise, is going to be a major issue for yeah, the government. Job. It, it will do, it will become that. Kira Feelin, political correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Thanks for talking to us this morning. This is an issue that comes up again and again, and it's, it's never far from people's minds. But addiction was in the news again this week when we heard that as many as one in four households have a problem drinker. Uh, Corkman and recovering alcoholic Seamus O'Croliak um, has put a lot of work into showing people how to recover from addiction. Uh, Seamus, good morning to you. Morning, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you getting on? Not too bad. No, no not too uh, bad. Okay. Thanks for having me on. No, it's great to have you. And Seamus, like, I know you probably had to tell your story many times, but can you, can you tell us about your own experience first? I mean, can we know what we're talking about then? Yeah, it's, it's like, obviously, alcoholism hits everyone different, but for me, it was very early on, you know? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I got very drunk at my mam's removal. Um, her, her coffin was still in the church, and I fell asleep on an alley wall, uh, down an alleyway on a wall at 11 years of age after, and totally intoxicated, like, you know? Good. So that would have been the first time ever, and I, I remember someone had to come down and kind of bring me in home, um, and I was, it was, it, it just kind of spiraled, really. Like, there was never, because everybody around me was so much in grief, um, they, they didn't really have time to check on me. So yeah. kind of, they did the best they could, like, but under the circumstances, it just wasn't enough for an 11-year-old boy to, to, to be brought up yeah. without a mother yeah. and, and, and surrounded by alcoholism. You know? Yeah, what, what, what time period? Was this in the, the 90s, 90s, 90s? When, when was this? No, no, my mother, my mother died in, in the 25th of July, 2003. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so if this is not like this is not you know historical, right? Like, did, you know, what age do you know? If you don't mind me asking, I'm 31. No, right? Okay. So no, this isn't historical at all. Yeah. No, and, and and it's still happening today, which yeah. is the sad thing, you know, yeah. that, that that environments like that are still are still happening all over the country, all over the city, all over the county. That there's yeah. little housing estates and 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 places like that where people are are engulfed really by yeah. alcoholism you know the only thing that they think about is alcoholism yeah. you know or, or, or alcohol or drink yeah, um, yeah or yeah, of yeah. course it's, there's there's not just drink these days either I mean we've got problems okay. with heroin in Cork City we've got problems with crack cocaine we've got problems people with multiple yeah. addictions as well you know what, how did it progress you did you ever, did you go to did you finish school go to college did you just start working how did, how did I, I, I was in school till I was 15 Joe, right. and then I was um and then I was I dropped out. Um, it was just coming to the end of the boom, unfortunately. And when I my my brother was out on his own, and I was working with different fellas doing a bit of construction, mm. like everyone around me really. But then the boom hit within a couple of months, and the arse fell out of every bit of work that was going. So um, I, no, that's not saying that I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have took off anyway. But yeah. it just kind of made it a little bit worse. Everybody was the, the queues for the dole offices were. A mile long. Everybody was doing the same thing every Tuesday or every wherever you are in the country. You get your dole on a certain day, and the first thing you did then was get a bag of cans or get a whatever, and yeah. then there's all these different drugs, as you said, and we're we're coming into it as well. And it's just it's like I was thinking, like people nowadays, like you hear of fat shaming, and you you hear of um, all these different things, you know, which is an an addiction in itself, like food mm. and eating is an addiction in itself. Yeah. But you'd hardly ever hear of drunk shaming like you know yeah. it's just socially so socially acceptable yeah 
that it's just it's it's I don't know. It has it, been it, part. It has been part part of 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 Irish life for for such a long time and for such a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, like, yeah, and people yeah. have tried to explain how that is, and there's different theories and everything. Was it was there like everybody has a moment, and I think you had as well. But what was that moment? What, what was rock bottom, and how did you get out of it? Oh, well, there was loads of moments, Joe, yeah. really. Like, if, 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 if you were talking to anyone else, they could give you their rock bottom, and that one might only be a drop in the ocean for me. You know, yeah. that kind of way. So it just hits everyone different. Yeah. Um, but for me, my, see, my, see the, the difference for me was that my rock bottom was my man's death. Yes. So no matter what I did after that, nothing was getting any worse. Yeah. It was, it, so it was a hindrance for me, really, because as, as bad as I hurt my family, I hurt myself. Nobody hurt us as much as we hurt when it came to the loss of my mother, like yeah. you know. So it, it took it took a long time for me to hurt a lot of people and to hurt myself an awful lot before I actually realised what I was doing and how bad it was affecting me and others, like you know. Yeah. And um, did you kind of go the traditional route? Did somebody point you towards AA, for instance? No, so actually, what happened to me was I was I was sent to prison when I was um, when I was twenty one. Mm. Um, and it was the first time in my life that I actually had to sit down with myself, you know? Yeah. Um, no, saying that there's substance in there too, but I was lucky enough to just kind of stay away from him. Um, but, and it was the first time that I actually had to sit down and think about what was going on. I went to a bit of psychotherapy in there. Yeah. And I, I was trying to get through a lot of traumas that had, that had happened in my life. And and that's that's when it kind of first happened, even though I didn't give it up forever there, like, but it, 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 it took these kind of stepping stones mm. in order for me to get to where I am today, you know? What, this, that's interesting. I mean, what was prison life like for you? Because I think it's, it's different for every inmate, but yeah. did it, you're talking about you got psychotherapy. Was that the first time you'd ever actually encountered that kind of treatment? Yeah, yeah. The, like I went to like bereavement counselling now through school and stuff when I was younger, yeah. but it's kind of not the same. Like this was intense one-on-one psychotherapy with a, with, a, with a trained psychiatrist obviously yeah. Um, um, and yeah like it, that was great of course but like obviously prison is horrible like it's yeah. an awful place to be you're, you're you're in with people that are that are that don't care that they're there like mm. like and 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 you're, you don't know what's around the corner you don't know who's going to start in yeah you don't know and at the time I was in the old prison so it was it was about slapping out so yeah. you'd know toilet in your cell you were doing everything in, in a bucket with a lid on it and you could be if you needed to go do your toilet. You had to look at your man and on your on your oh, book no. bed as you're do- going to the toilet, like you know. It was fairly yeah. That old horrific. prison. I was in it not so long ago. Again, it's my mothballed now, but it was oh God. It's a grim, grim building. Because um, oh, one of the worst. It was actually they were paying fines in Ireland for years. Mm. The European Union because yeah. of it was against humanity yeah. or humanitarian laws. Or yeah, and so and I suppose it's not an ideal place to start your recovery either, is it? Prison no. it, with, with no. everything that's going on to, uh, to start your recovery as well in the middle of that must be very difficult yeah but what it gave me so it was a, r- a real understanding of how how, pe- how people get into the cycle of it like you know yeah. I, me- I remember a fella shouting at me from a landing below telling me he was going to kill me like and stuff and, and I didn't do anything out of the way but he was just one of these guys that got very agitated about things Yeah, and I could see how someone would be scared into a place or into a position of doing something Maybe a fight or whatever. To, then their sentence gets extended. Then you're then you're going to be wallowing in depression. So then mm. their substance might come in over the counter at a visit, yeah. and then you'd end up taking that substance. Then you get stuck in the in the wheel of addiction, you yeah. know. And it's just, I'm like I'm no different 
than the person on the street. And I, unfortunately, I know a lot of people on the streets in, in, in Cork City, yeah, you know. You would do. I'm just, I'm, they're in another, uh, in another prison a lot, I suppose, some of them. But yeah. um, it's so... If if you're talking to people today, and how do you talk to people today, and what do you say to them about? I mean, there there'll, there'll be people listening this morning who maybe are feeling hungover, or are feeling guilty, yeah. or feeling or worrying about the fact that you know they're drinking every day, or they're problem drinking, or drinking alone. How do you talk to people, and what does, what do you say to them? What what kind of advice do you give them for you know where do you even start to, to, on this road to recovery? Well, first of all, they have to want it, Joe. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't send them street corners shouting it. So, but, um, but if they do want it, then and then someone asks me, and and, I, and what what advice I would give is that if they think they're they're having good days, they're not. They're having less bad days, and they can actually eventually, if they want it and they want to work for it, they can have days where you do absolutely nothing. But, and you feel glorious in your heart and your soul, and and that, for me, was was the attraction to 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 getting right in my head again. You know, mm. like every time I sat with myself, Joe, I I, I, I I couldn't sit with myself really. I had to go and go for a few points, text one of the lads, go yeah. go for a few cans, whatever, which would end up evolving into a session for four or five days or whatever. And I would just feel miserable again, you know. And mm. then Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, then you're not feeling too bad again. Friday comes around, you're back at it. And then Saturday, you're knee deep in it again, you know. Yeah. So what I'd say to people is that you have to break a lot of cycles. You have to put in a lot of work. Mm. It's not easy. And as the old saying goes, like, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. But I can guarantee you the work that you put in will be the most rewarding work you'll ever do in your life. And it's not just about you. It's about your younger siblings. It's about... Your 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 nieces and nephews, your father, your mother, yeah. whatever. Yeah, and the I, ripple effect is huge. I know that from people that I know being had problems in this area. That physical exercise, uh, even just getting out in the countryside and walking for, <coughs> for for miles and miles and miles, is actually is is a big help. Is it? Did you oh, find huge. something like that? When I first got sober, Joe, I got into MMA. I was yeah. up in SBG Cork City. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, Jim, yeah. Yeah, and I did. Uh, I did Winter Warrior up there with Liam Moog and 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 the lads, Pally Han. I was a professional fighter out of that gym, and all that. But um, I didn't want to show them up too much, you know. So I said <laughs> I'd back out. Like. <laughs> no, but it, you know, it was great. I was up every morning at the half five. Yeah, I'd cycle up to the gym from Blarney Street. I was I was in in the morning doing my session. Then I was working at the time and in a different place. And I come home from work and I'd be there in the evenings. Yeah. And I was getting my meetings in then of Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. which I attend, and it, I, I'd love to attend daily, but mm. so life can be a bit hectic, but I definitely get three or four meetings now a week. Yeah. Um, and I was doing all them and doing all the right things, man, and um, and asking for help is, is a yeah. big one. Like, just, asking just, for help, yeah. Yeah, and, to, like, and what I learned as well from the from the gym, sorry not for rambling, but yeah. what, I, what, I, what I learned from the gym was to leave your ego at the door. Yeah. And, and then I brought that with me then around to places, you know, so yeah. I left my ego, like, I, I, I went in vulnerable to places in order to gain more information yeah. which will which will which will pay me um Talk, like, talking to people is very important. I have a friend who said he said like he felt at one stage like he was just talking the uh, the backside off everybody he met and every, anybody but he said <laughs> once yeah. you start asking for help, people want to help you. hundred percent, hundred percent. And but see the big thing with men in a, as well yeah. 
and especially for me, I can only tell my own story though. But it is is the ego like you? Yeah. That would stop me from asking for help. I yeah. still struggle with that. Like yeah. I'm only twenty two months sober, though. I'm like, yeah. and I know fellas who were thirty years and went back drinking. You know, yeah. so it's a daily thing. Daily, if you yeah. keep it simple in the day, keep yeah. it within the twenty four hours. Yeah, don't drink for twenty four hours, and that day then becomes a week, and that week becomes a month, and that yeah. month becomes a year, and you know yourself. Okay. Seamus, listen, it's great to talk to you this morning, and well done on your recovery and your journey. It's difficult, but thanks very much uh, for talking. Very rewarding, though. Yeah. Good, but very rewarding. Very no, rewarding. Thanks, man. Cheers, thanks. It. Now, Bye-bye. for anybody imp- impacted by this segment and, and worrying about alcohol or have something in their family or something in their lives, Alcoholics Anonymous is a great place to start. And it's alcoholicsanonymous.ie. Uh, that's for all your local numbers, uh, and, you know, and meetings. And they, they, there's meetings all over the city every day of the week. The Cork number for Alcoholics Anonymous is 085 847 0880. And we were talking earlier about busking in the city and, uh, and the fact that the Cork County Council, uh, City Council is looking to regulate busking. And uh, I said that everybody, in, in this one of those subjects that everybody on Lee side has an opinion about, and uh, that is the case. Dennis, what do you make of these rules to regulate busking in Cork City? Uh, good morning, Joe. Morning. Uh, just like any rules that the civil servants get involved in, they make a card of it. Like every city that you go to, you have buskers on it. Now, I always agreed with the thing that if there was somebody making a noise and out in the street busking, that the guards should have the power to move them on. But by and large, these are people starting off, and now they're going to get caught up in the bureaucracy of applying for a permit so they can do a bit of a street performance. Now, the council would be better off engaged in dealing with this run-down Cork City that when you walk around and look, it's close to a derelict site and bring in legislation in to try and deal with these buskers. Uh, these civil servants, once they get involved in legislation, uh, it's not a good day for anybody. So, yeah, I mean, the, one of the things, like the, the, the laws are very comprehensive, the proposed laws, and they're asking you, you can go and have your view, you can make your views known on the Cork City Council. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Council website because they've opened it up for public discussion. But there are a lot of proposed bylaws. And I'm just wondering, I, I think about living in city centre and dog fouling, right? And there's dog foul, uh, the crap everywhere in Cork city centre. Um, and there's been one fine in five years handed down for dog fouling. So I'm just wondering who is actually going to enforce these these rules because if they can only ca- catch one person with a dog in five years, I don't know how, how often they're going to be going around checking on buskers to see if their uh, their amplification is at the right level. Yeah, well, sure. Like the, the, this proves the point, so that this legislation is all a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> like it was like when they came along and they taxed the private landlords of fifty one percent, and now they left they left the market in droves, and now the civil servants are getting fifty one percent of nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I know in London that they um, that they uh, they actually make people audition in front in front of a committee uh, before they're allowed to, to get busking permits. So, um, so. That, 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 that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Like the idea of a busker is that there's some young person that goes along and says, do "You know what? I could do with a little bit of experience getting mm. used to audiences and go out on the street on a Saturday or Sunday." play a tune and maybe somebody throws a few bob into a cap. Right. Now, if there's somebody making a general nuisance of themselves, I'm sure the Guardian have the power to move them on already. Okay. Now, right. Yeah, Dennis, yeah. I'm, I'm, the one thing about that, though, is that I'm sure the guards really don't want to be getting involved in this because, you know, we're, we are very understrength for Guardian in Cork City uh, and I think they're, they're, they're busy enough without chasing young fellas with guitars around the place. But, uh-huh. but Dennis, thanks very much to talk, for talking to us this morning. Because yeah, we're gonna go, we're thank, go, you. thank you. We're going to go to uh, Sandy. Hello, good morning, Sandy. Morning. Good morning. Uh, so yeah, um, no, it, it's brilliant to just be able to walk down the street and listen to you know musicians or we see there, you know, the the artists there doing circus acts or whatever. But like I'd listen there now to Dylan and Corey and they do lives on Facebook and different things like that yeah. and social media. And you know you tune in like even if you're not in the city, like you tune in there like and it just it brings the city alive. Yeah, I because know. I mean. The yeah, city has just gone. Sorry, the city has gone downhill so much where traffic can't go through. It has taken people away from the city, and with the buskers and the entertainers, it's bringing so much back into the city that might it's going to draw people into the city to see them alone. Yeah, I know. Uh, that, I know that the, the live the live broadcasts that these guys do they're very popular because you're right. I mean, even if you're from Cork and living, you know, in the UK or living in the states, or living in Australia, I know they have people who who tune in just to kind of get a sense, especially at Christmas, they get exactly. a sense of, the, of that street, that that great street atmosphere in Cork City. Exactly. Yeah. Like I live thirty five kilometers from the city, mm. and like even to see it there, you know, to look at it, and you know. You know the people's faces that you'd know passing by, or you know it. It doesn't matter. But even just to go through the city, and you know, like years ago, you'd have you'd have a bus going nearly on every lane, yeah, or every corner, and it was brilliant because it brought the city alive. But I think we need it more now. Okay, for the simple reason is there's so many shops after closing. Okay. There's a lot of people gone from the city and if that brings them back in it's going to help our shops. Yeah. The one thing you I would say, yeah, the, the, you're right about the shops closing. Thankfully, shops are opening as well. You know, there's there's the flannels now on uh, the new one where Easton's used to be. And there's the new Easton's which is a, the fantastic building. They've finally renovated the old hotel, the Victoria Hotel there and did a fantastic yeah. job in that. We need more. We need the, the old Debenhams, Roaches stores. That needs to, it's going to come back online as well and we yeah. need more. We need our buskers. We do yeah. need our buskers. They have fantastic voices, and that is the only way some of these lads and ladies are going to be discovered. Okay. 
And we need them. We need them because they're they're fantastic and they bring so much into our city. Okay, so you know, so you're like saying Dylan there, he's Dylan and Corey there. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Great. Yeah. But I'm a big fan now of uh, Dylan. I have to say, right. he was last night. He was playing and he done a live last night watching him. And you know, they need a boost and they do need they do need to be you know. Okay. radio stations need to be shouting out for these lads yeah definitely you know? okay Sandy that's that's a great message don't regulate it celebrate it and I suppose exactly, talk, exactly. Yeah. well thanks very much to talk to us this morning hi it's Joe Shea uh, sitting in for PJ Coogan this morning that was Rihanna now uh, here's a subject that's pretty uh, close to uh, to my own heart or my, or my own uh, thoughts at the moment People across Cork City Centre especially but in lots of different areas on the north side on the south side are having and have been having for a long time, problems with filthy drinking water in their area. Uh, Julie, good morning. Good morning, Julie. Right, we're going to be talking to a lady, uh, Julie, she lives in Upper Montanotti, and um, Julie, can you hear me now? Okay, sorry, unfortunately, Julie is not with us at the moment. While we're waiting to get her, uh, to get her let's talk about this. Um, the Premier League. The Premier League Live is back on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welch this Saturday from midday, powered by TalkSport. We'll bring you live coverage of Chelsea versus Brentford at 12.30, Arsenal versus Sheffield United at 3, and, the, and Wolves take on Newcastle at 5.30pm. So it's all back, the Premier League, live online with Harvey Norman, Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. So listen Saturday on Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, Julie, are you with us? I am. Ah, Thank great. you. Hi, how are you? Good, I'm good, good thanks. How are you? Good, good to have you. I'm fine. Julie, um, you're living on St. Jo- Joseph's Drive in Montanati, are you? Yes, okay. that's where I lived, yeah. yeah. So tell me about your experience with the water, because I think you've only recently moved into the area, haven't you? Yes, well, I lived on Gardner's Hill for about right. eight and a half years. Yeah. And I'm from the area, so I'm from Ardenley. Okay. And my husband's from the area too. So we moved to St. Joseph's Drive about three months ago. Yeah. Um, and when we moved in in July, we started to notice the water was really yellow and brown a lot of the time. Um, but sometimes it's actually hard to see with the naked eye. So it's only when you really actually put it up against bottled water that you see how bad it is. Yeah. And then there are times where it's really brown. Yeah. So I started feeling sick from the water. Well, I wasn't sure it was the water until I realized how bad it was. And I stopped, we stopped drinking it about two months ago. And I got onto Irish water and I told them I wasn't well. I was feeling sick. Could have been the water. And we're constantly having brown water. I can't, like, wash the kids in the bath. Yeah. We can't do anything like that. So Irish Water came out about five weeks ago and tested the water. Um, and they took it very seriously, they said. They'd come back really quickly. Um, but I haven't heard from them since. Yeah. So I've rang them twice a week for the last five weeks. And they've said they'll come back to me. Yeah. Now, I, I live over in near the Barrack Street area, and I know that in the South Parish, in uh, fr- uh, Friars Walk, Ballyviehan, there's been major, major issues with this as well. And it happens to us, and it happened to me uh, on, on Monday, I think it was. Turned on the tap, put a glass of, to drink a glass of water in the evening, put the, the water in, and now I always check first because I hold it up to the light, yeah. and there you see the mud and, and little bits of brown things floating around it. You're going, oh God, here we go again. And if sometimes you don't have the bottled water to hang because you ran out or you haven't been to the store or anything like that, and what are you exactly. supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we've had, so we, we've got a, when I was in Gardner Hill, there's like a Gardner Hill group, so we've been kind of back and forth on that, and all of the neighbours in that area are having similar problems. Mm. 
Irish Water did say that they're flushing the system yeah. since the 18th, but like the, the question is, it's always brown. So have they always been flushing the system? Because it's constantly brown, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. And I, I don't think anybody's getting any satisfaction from it. I certainly haven't heard anything back from them. Yeah. Um, which is disappointing. I know people are installing, you know, those these reverse osmosis osmosis yes. filters. Like, have you ever looked at, at installing one of those? So I think we have to. Yeah. So a neighbour of ours has one, and she actually posted a video on Twitter of when they changed yeah. it last week. I saw that. Um, yeah, it was horrendous. If you actually see what we're drinking and yeah. bathing in. So I think we'll have to get one in, right, without a doubt. We have a filter in our fridge, yeah. but it's not actually clearing it, I don't think, because yeah. it's still slightly yellow. Yeah, I saw that video. I, I thought first it was somebody doing an oil change on an old motorbike it's or something horrendous. like that. It, it was yeah. really, because these osmosis filters, for people who don't know, basically you fit them in a kind of in line. So your water coming into your kitchen uh, sink, you, you plumb it in through this, the filter. It filters out any particulates, any dirt, anything in in the water and sends it through. They're also, the good ones kind of will get, pick up on microplastics, they'll pick mm. up. But the problem is, they're at least 400 euros for to buy a, a decent one. And then you have yep. to pay a plumber to come along and fit them as well, unless you're a very good DIY man yourself. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, that's expensive for people as well, isn't it? It is. It's super expensive. And that was why we didn't get one initially, because I was yeah. saying, look, there is a cost to it. But I think right now, yeah. like we can't keep up buying the bottled water. And yeah. as you mentioned, we don't always have it on hand. Yeah. And I just feel like that's another thing with all the plastic. You know, it's yeah. a whole other issue. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been getting, in our house, we've been getting, you know, you get this kind of stomach cramps or pain, a kind of a weird kind of like you don't. That's exactly f- it. Yeah. You don't feel well. And you're kind of going, did I eat something bad? Did I, did? And, yeah. then you, and then you look at the water and you go, oh, my God, that's what I'm drinking. Yeah, yeah, and another neighbour of ours changed their fridge filter and they sent a video to to the Garden of Hill group and they just dropped it into a wine glass and it was pure brown. I know. It was horrendous as well. So, like, it's not, it's clearing out some of it, but it's still yellow when you actually look at it. And do you you get that kind of chemically taste off it as well? And there's even an odour sometimes off it as well. There is. We've we've got that when it's very bad. Um, My husband uses the fridge filtered water for work and he said even the taste now is terrible. He can't drink it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I, I have one of those kind of things in work, kind of something that chills and and filters the water as it comes in. And actually the water in work, I kind of drink as much as I can at work before I get home and fill up. I have one of those portable, you know, those little water bottles that everybody carries around these days. I fill that up and I bring it home with me. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, I work in the office three days a week, so I literally shower now in the office because <laughs> yeah. it even affects, you know, your yeah. hair, everything. Oh, it does, yeah, no, I know. And <laughs> if you're using a hair dryer on your hair, it's it's uh, a smell comes off because you I suppose yeah. you're applying heat and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Um I, I've been on Irish water myself and I think one of the things that everybody in Cork needs to do is just bombard them with calls, to be honest with you, because I think people kind of put up with it maybe and kind of go, Oh, well maybe somebody else is calling them or maybe Maybe they know about it or something like that. But I know that in my neighborhood, people just started ringing them nonstop. And eventually they came out and they did a lot of work. They okay. did the flushing thing as well. Uh, I don't know if it's really work. Because like I said, on Monday it was gone bad as well. So, you yeah. know, but I, I think it's, it's, it's always the way, isn't it? If you don't complain, if you don't kind of raise the issue, nobody's going to do anything. It is. And I did speak to some of our neighbours on yeah. St. Joseph's Drive and they've been having issues for years on and off. Yeah. So when I spoke to Irish Water, they said, you're the only person who's ever rang us, which I don't believe, right? <laughs> no. But 
I think people are now starting to be a bit more vocal, so hopefully that might drive some change. Yeah. But who knows? It would be great. I know that Irish, I've talked to Irish Water about this in the past, and what they say is 70% of Cork's main water uh, lines, uh, mains, are Victorian era cast iron mains, and they have to replace that, and it's a huge job. And it is. You know, there was no investment for years in in a lot of our systems, and we're seeing the problem, the issues with, with that now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's it. Even when we were doing up our last house and we were like pulling up, let's say, under the foundations, you'd yeah. see all the old pipes and yeah. how rotting they were and how bad they were. And we had to do a lot of, we had to replace a lot under the old house. Yeah. Well, the one we did up, let's say, before. Um, because the pipes are destroyed. So you yeah. can imagine what's coming off those I know, as we, Rolf is running through it. We, we replace lead pipes in our house uh, because, you, you know, and, and actually people might want to be aware of this and Cork City Council are actually really, really good at this. The water department in Cork City Council are great. If you report lead pipes, they'll give you good advice and there's also a grant available. It's a small enough grant, but it's worth it if you've got lead pipes or if you want to put in new, line, new lines going into your house. So, But Julie, listen, thanks very much for talking. I no hope problem, the I appreciate the time. Better. No, I hope this, it's a very important one. I'm glad we were able to talk about it because there's people all over the city are suffering with this. Thanks, yeah, Julie. Agreed. Thanks so much, Joe. Okay. Take care. All right, Bye-bye. we'll take a short break now. We'll be back very soon. It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ this morning. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about the state of water in many parts of the city coming out of our taps. Uh, Councillor Mick Nugent, you've had a few conversations with Irish Water, have you? <laughs> yeah, Joel. This is a regular thing um, going on for quite a period of time. Um, it's been raised at a few city council meetings. And we have a meeting every so often where Schwarter officials and it comes up there regularly as well. And I even saw Thomas Gould TD had a post on his page yesterday about recurring issues in Guana Braher. And people all over the city are reporting it, Joe. Um, so I know Schwarter previously had said, you know, with the new water plant in the Lee Road, and there was an issue whatever you know, chemical they were putting in that that might have been an issue. Um and also that water flushing as well in areas might be a factor. It just seems to be going on so long in different areas, Joe. You just wonder what's really the issue there, you know? Yeah. I know Gron is one of the areas that's had a lot of problems with this. And and we're not just talking the last few the last few months either, are we? No, no. There was um, there was a family in touch with our office from Gron Abraher as well. And they had just a constant issue and... The Irish water officials and engineers and were calling to the, to the house. Mm. Um, but I don't think it was as bad, you know. And another another issue as well that happens is low water pressure is an issue as well in areas. Um, I had that the other day, just low water pressure um, in, in cleans actually. And every so often, up around my own area there in Hollyhill, Nakahini, there's times there where the water just goes off yeah. no kind of explanation just out of this and it'll be on to the city council engineers as well and there could be different factors construction might be an issue or people turning off the water um, doing construction but there's been times where we never got to the bottom of it Joe you know yeah. and as you know most of the functions and staff now have been have been transferred from the city council over to Irish Water as well so yeah. I, I kind of fear then that you'll get a lot of experience and knowledge um, as well from the water department yeah. personnel in city council which in fairness to the lads there you could ring 
city council engineers any time of the day or night on their mobile and they would try and resolve an issue for you, you know? I, I personally had experience with the water department recently I found it to be absolutely brilliant because we, we had a problem with um, with lead pipes in our place and we, were, we had to replace yeah. them because they're, they're not, they're, it's not healthy, it's not good. But um, So if people, like... I suppose it's an issue. It's 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 a matter of there's no point in just putting up with it. You got to let I suppose your local councillor know. You got to let Irish Water know, and you just got to keep m- making those phone calls until something's done. Yeah, I think your advice in relation to the issue you had in your neighbours in Bar Street, I think it's it's a good one. You know, I know people would probably contact councillors and TDs uh, to raise it on their behalf, but um, it's no harm residents as well in different areas just contacting Irish Water. And, and pressing them as well in terms of there's an issue here because, as mentioned previously, people are concerned about, and you mentioned yourself, Joe, in terms of effect on health. And, yeah. You know, people are trying to wash clothes and get kids ready. And, you know, the advice then is to run the water for two to three hours. And some people are doing that and doing it a lot longer. Yeah. And it's still not running clear. So that's, you know, one way it's kind of a wastage of water as well. And that can't be good either, you know. I know. A lot of rain at the moment, you think there'll be no shortage, like, but people, it's, it's just very difficult when people are trying to get to work in schools and yeah. the water coming out is just not consumable, you know? Yeah, but that's the other thing as well. I know by experience now that if there's a lot of rain like really really like we've had recently I know that a day or two later our water's going to be terrible because it, I know that uh, the Irish water in many locations have problems with kind of like runoff rain major amounts of it sort of overwhelming their treatment systems Yeah that's, that's can, that can be a factor you know and that could be a temporary issue and that might resolve itself Yeah, but just just my concern that it definitely just seems to be consistent and persistent issue, particularly in the last maybe 18 months, two years, I find, you know, mm. in terms of people just reporting in different areas, exploration okay. in the water, and it's yeah. just not usable. And look, we look, Joe, we'll continue to raise it where we yeah. can. I know Thomas Gould has written to Irish Water as well on it. We'll have that meeting with them soon as well, okay. and we just have to keep on it, you know. Okay, and I know people can report directly to you as well if they're in your area, if they have problems, yeah. and you'll raise it. Uh, Sinn Féin Councillor McNuish. Can I just say yeah. um, a great interview there as well with um, with Seamus? Oh, thanks. Um, I know, yeah, I know she- I know Seamus well actually, so I know him very well, and I know he's you know I think he, he was inspiring and a kind of example to others in the same in the same situation yeah. so he's a good fellow uh, he is and I know that in his own way he's helping people as well in in you know in a, in a relatively quiet way but I know that he's he's kind of people have reached out to him and he and he'll talk to people as well and he, yeah I can vote for that and he yeah. does it on his social media social and his Instagram media. you know he yeah. does it in a kind of a, an, uplif- an uplifting kind of a, a humorous way as well yeah. but also seriously in terms of trying to help people where he can okay. like you know Okay, this is Mick. That's great. Thanks very much for talking to us this morning. Thanks, Joe. Good morning. Thank you. We'll take an ad. Joe Shea sitting in for PJ this morning. Now, before the news, we were talking about a subject that everybody in Cork has in Cork City has experienced at some point recently, it seems, and that's the water coming out of our taps, which often runs brown and has been for some time. Uh, good morning, D. Good morning, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing this morning? I'm Great. You're on the South Douglas Road, yeah? Yeah. Uh, what's your experience with tap water? My experience with tap water. <laughs> the first day I tasted it here in the house, I decided, no, I'm not having it. <laughs> and I've been, I'm in the house now 28 years. 28, hold, on, hold on a second. 28, <laughs> you haven't drank tap water in your house in 28 no, years? No. 
I won't. It tastes horrible and on and off it to be brown. Oh my god. You must be in the Ballygone Hall of Fame, are you? <laughs> no, I usually get Tesco or Aldi. All right, of course, yeah. None of that fancy but, um, stuff in the South Dublin But if I world, go yeah. up the hill up to one of my sister's houses, yeah. I'll go to the tap and I will drink the water. Right. So it's just in your <laughs> house. So it's not like you have a mad phobia about it or anything like no, that? No, no, no. no. Honestly, it tastes totally different. Yeah. Good. I think it's because um, the the water in Grange comes from the Ullabui. Yeah. And the water from, from South Dublin in town and all that comes from the... <laughs> so you're saying you get a much better class of water now in Grange, oh, don't Grange you, than, than, than you would? Bo- I was reared on it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's just crazy to me that you haven't drank it in 28 years. Um, no. Uh, so I suppose, it's horrible. Yeah. And as you say, on and off, it looks totally brown. Yeah, yeah. Because I know from, from I was saying earlier, in my in my house in the city <laughs> centre in South, South Parish and lots of our neighbours, it's brown on a regular basis and you get a yeah. weird little odour kind of off it as well. And sometimes it tastes chemically. And if you if you drink it, it'll give you stomach cramps sometimes. No, I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't touch it. Yeah, okay. And if I was gasping, I would judge it. <laughs> right, okay. Well, listen, Dee, thanks for like 28 years on the South Douglas Road and not a drop of tap water. Dee, thanks very much for calling us. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Now, uh, have a listen to this. No one told you that was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you broke. Your love lives the way. Right, and uh, pub quiz fans will know that the name of the band that sang that is the Rembrandts, and I'll be there for you, of course, the theme tune to the biggest sitcom, one of the biggest of all time, and a, and a great experience for everybody in the 90s, the Friends Experience. Because the Friends Experience has come to Dublin, and Crossy from FM 104 was there for us this week. Good morning, Crossy. Good morning. And when you play that, everyone wants to do the clap, yeah, don't they? Yeah, they, do. <laughs> they absolutely do. Yeah, and find a fountain to jump around in. Yeah. Crossy, tell yeah, me, it, what, what is the Friends experience? So it's someone, some genius about 10 years ago kind of realized that Friends is never coming back. Yeah. You know, they're, they're never going to do another series. But people are still watching it. You go on Comedy Central, Netflix. Mm. When Netflix put it up, a lot of younger people started watching it again. And they were kind of going, what can we do? And someone says, why don't we build a set, tours around the world, and people can go in and pretend that they are Monica Chandler, Rachel, Joey, and whoever else. So they built it at one... That's in New York. So that stays there. That's the official one. That has loads of bits and bobs. But then they started touring around the UK. And it has become this monster thing that arrives in cities for about three or four months at a time. And people just go in to just pretend they're in Friends. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I'm often confused about what people get excited about, right? So this is basically basically a coach and a a set and you go in and and it's like you're, you're in the show basically. Everything. So if you're a massive Friends fan or if you know someone that is, you literally walk in and you will see where the phone should be, where the teacups should be. And like little parts like when you go into this one that's in Dublin, when you open up Monica's fridge, you have, remember the episode where Rachel tried to cook the cake and end up cooking a shepherd's pie with the cake? That's in in there. (laughs) So that's in there. Um, Maybe I'm way too excited for it. I'm a massive Friends fan. 
I watched, I had the pencil case when I was growing up in school, yeah. you know, that sort of a fan. And I went, we went to it on Monday before it opened up and got a video before the crowds went. Yeah. And a fellow was telling me in the first 24 hours, 15,000 tickets oh. were sold. Yeah. And I suppose and, uh, it's a selfie city as well, isn't it? Everybody wants to get their, their picture taken, you know, on the session in the set. And I suppose it'll look great on your socials as well, won't it? I know it's on, it's on your socials, on your Insta, isn't it? Yeah, and it's actually going to be on Corks96 later on on Instagram. Keep right. an eye out for it. We did a little video of a tour because it's not just a set. So you get Monica and Rachel's apartment, you get Chandler's apartment, mm. you get Central Park as well, and then you get the fountain and the chair in front of it as well. Yeah. And they've loads of little bits about it, you know, like timelines of relationships. Yeah. You get their clothes. Like, there's some clothes there as well that they did wear, uh, which is cool as well because you get to see how bloody skinny they were. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was I like, know. it wouldn't have been one of my arms. Yeah, Actually, you know, it's funny because well now that you talk to talk about it these these sets are imprinted on our minds aren't they i mean like if, if i close my eyes and try to imagine that you know the the main kind of set where they all hung out i could probably tell you where every chair was where every you know where the where the counter was in the kitchen where the window was behind them and it's so is it, is it realistic does it does it feel like you're actually immersed in the set it feels completely realistic yeah. and that's the mad thing about it I was a bit nervous at this, on Monday I was nervous because because I'd seen the New York one which is the main one I, and we just went there by chance it was lashing rain one day and we're like oh look we've nothing else to do mm. properly that we're doing get soaked on and when I walked out, no, this is good. I was like, this is good. I was there last night again. Jeez, I sound like a weirdo. I was there last <laughs> night with some of my friends. And I, I was watching it through their eyes. And they were aged between, just say, 20 and 40. Yeah. And even they were the exact same. They were going, Jesus, like, this is kind of mad that, you know, this show ended 20 years ago nearly. Yeah. And we're all still wanting it. Yeah, Crossy, you don't sound like you don't sound like a weirdo. You'd only be weird if you broke in and slept there last night, which I assume you, you didn't do, right? You didn't no. Okay. Well I won't, do you know what I actually did. I actually <laughs> asked that question. I was like, yeah. can we do a prize where we get someone yeah. to stay the night there? That like would no, be cool. that's not happening. That would be very cool sleeping. Yeah. Uh, who's your favourite character who's your favourite character from Friends? I'm going to go Rachel. Yeah. I'm going to go Rachel. You know, she's the one that has always been hilarious. And I think probably the worst character, Phoebe. I didn't get Phoebe. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Um, there, there is some wild rumors that Phoebe was the only real person in it. And she she was Asta Vyarl. She lost her mind. Yeah. And all the other people that are in it are all part of her imagination. Right. And when you think of that, you're going, that's a that's a weird that's, that's a weird set up there. Interesting, yeah. Um I just remember the the period that they were on and every magazine had a, a friends one friend or all the friends on it, all they were just such a huge pop cultural phenomenon at the time, weren't they? So by the end of it, they were nearly making a million per episode. Gosh. And um, Matthew Perry, who was Chandler Bing, he was talking recently when he was promoting his book. He said if he's looking back at him from when the, the last series was on, he'd probably kick himself up the arse to say, let's do one more series. Yeah. We are making a serious amount of money. Yeah. But they just felt like that was it. Now, they did the reunion and all that. Yeah. And everyone liked it. And it was, you know, but they are all like they're all nearly in their 60s. Yeah, I know. It's, so yeah. time has changed. Yeah. And I they said before as well that, you know, in your 20s, you hang around with your friends, you have the crack. Mm. But when you get to your 30s, that's when you start settling down or you start moving away from those friends that you had. That's kind of sad even thinking about it because it, it, it is true. Yeah. People do change when they go into their 30s. Yeah, and we kind of so, changed uh, change with, with them as well because we grew up and they grew up yeah. and, and, and things changed in relationships. Look, come here, because... Um, those ninety sitcoms are kind of back in the news now. Because have you seen the new Frasier at all? Any of the new the the, the, the new, new ones? Yeah, yeah. 
I watched a bit of Frasier, so yeah. I would have watched that, you know, kind of passively back in the yeah. 90s, yeah. Uh, early 90s, and it was funny. It's on Paramount. It's yeah. kind of lost the funny quirkiness, but I don't know whether have we as a human humans have we developed more yeah and um, rodney from uh only fools and horses and yes. as nicholas lindhurst that's a bit strange the first while because you keep kind of going that's rodney yeah that's rodney it and does, because we see yeah. him so much yeah. but no it is look if you have been a fan of fraser yeah you're gonna like it i don't know if it's gonna bring in newbies no. that is the thing about it i, I think it, it doesn't you're, you're kind of trying to kind of second guess things that's going on it's just kind of like sex of the city well and just like that you know people move on so fraser crane is different because it's been a long time since he was last Frasier. Yeah. And that's that's what they're trying to show to go. As people get older, they're, his son is now older. Yeah. So they've changed the dynamic. But look, it's worth a watch. It's definitely worth yeah, a watch. It is. I watched two episodes of it and my wife asked me, said, what do you think of it? And I was like, going, you know what? It could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. I actually enjoyed it. That's what everyone's saying. Yeah. It could have been worse, yeah. which is, I think, look, that's healthy enough when there's so much stuff yeah. on TV at the minute. Yeah, it could have been worse. It's very, it's very old-fashioned, though. I mean, I don't think the classic sitcoms, we're never going to have another Friends, are we? I mean, that was very much of, of the time and of the moment. Definitely. Yeah. And they've tried and tried and tried before, yeah. and they have failed miserably. Mm. I think, you know, we're in a good... And, and you, if you know, like they never really cursed on Friends. No. They never really drank alcohol. They never... You know, so all these little things that you, you, you didn't know when you were growing up watching it, mm. and now you're looking back going, yeah, they never went to a pub, or they yeah. never... You know, you never saw them drunk, or you never yeah. saw them doing anything like that. Yeah. Whereas in the real ones now, that's what it, that's what they're doing. That's yeah. what it seems to be about. Yeah. But look, it, it's, it's going to be forever in our mind. They're forever going to be young. They're forever going to be Ross and Rachel they're never going to be <laughs> Jennifer Aniston well she's still young looking I think yeah, that she, she's the only she one looks, probably but it's great I mean so like you you did the Friends experience in Dublin you can go along you can immerse yourself in the sets and, and, and live in Friends for, for a short while would you recommend it to people? Yes, I would. Uh, right. ticket, now, ticket prices, they're in the late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Uh, someone texted into our show here this morning and says probably a bit steep. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been looking around and I would always hate, I, I, I would never ever tell someone to go to something if it's going to cost them too much money. If you're a Friends fan, it's mm. genuinely something that you will like. You'll have 45 minutes to an hour just walking around these sets and your mouth will be on your on the floor for the first while. Yeah. But you can go around again and you can get your foot. And look, it's, sadly, it's not not what it's all about these days. Yeah. People I, getting their photographs. Crossy, well, I have you because you're 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 big on your pop culture. You've got your finger on the pulse. What did you think of the Beckham documentary? Because everybody's talking about it. Or did you watch it? I did. I really liked it. I really liked it. Um, and, and I think, you know what? Over the next while, you're going to start seeing a lot more with the actress strike on at the minute. Yeah. The, the, the streamers are now running out of, of movies and series and all that. Mm. Even though the writers are back, the actors still aren't. Yeah. So it, what's going to happen is in January and February, you're going to start seeing a lot more of these type of shows yeah. happening because they're the standalone. Like Colleen Rooney. Yeah, the amazing. Wacky. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, but have you seen Rebecca Luz? Is after she's back in the news again, and I haven't heard her name in a long time. The nanny, um, but she's she's back in the news, and this documentary has been such a hit. It's kind of dragged her back in, and she, you know, of course, allegedly had the affair with uh, with David in Spain. Um, she's kind of back in, and she, and she's got a lot to say for herself as well. Have you been across that? Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. So I watched the interview that she did with the Daily Mail mm. and I kind of felt for her. So she said that, you know, that was a time in her life. She was on Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah. She was doing all the panel shows and then she disappeared. She was like, got, got a husband, 
got a couple of kids mm. and I'm happy. And she says, I wouldn't have come back out of all that into this kind of like cesspit of, yeah. you know, media and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But she says he did me dirty. Yeah. <laughs> they brought they brought up her name again yeah. without bringing up her name again. And she was like, they could have done it in a way, either ignore it, which yeah. I don't think the public would have wanted because, you know, everyone wants to know the ins and outs in it. Yeah. But she wasn't happy. So she was like, she wanted the right to reply and she yeah. got it. Well, she got and it, you can yeah. kind of feel from her that, you know, she's probably not going to, you know, you're not going to see her next week, or, sorry, in three weeks and I'm a celebrity because mm. I don't think she wants that. I think she's away from all that. She just wanted to make the point that, hang on a second, lads, you can't be coming on making these documentaries because yeah. it is. If you haven't seen Beckham, it's what, an, nearly an hour an hour of time yeah. uh, per episode and you get to see Sir Alex Ferguson, yeah. you get to see, you know, uh, Gary Neville, people, you get to see them out of their normal clicks of what they're supposed to be in and how they're talking about the Spice Girls and David and it kind of mirrors Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, yeah, who Travis plays point. for the NFL. Yeah, so, so they, they are, I kind of suppose, the posh and Bexler time, aren't they? Because they got that, that sports thing and the pop thing going on. So in America, uh, Travis's team has nearly doubled in viewership since he started going out with Taylor. All the merch for him has yeah. uh, quadrupled because all the fans want his stuff. So at, at what stage, if you'd watched the Beckham documentary, are you going to see an Alex Ferguson type person going, calm down now, there's she a, needs to stop coming to these matches? Been, there's already been a big backlash from from like traditional football <laughs> fans in the US who say, because the camera keeps cutting to Taylor Swift in the in the uh, you know yeah. the skybox every time there's a touchdown or whatever and they go straight to Taylor Swift and there's like there are football f- American football fans are losing their minds over this like I don't care about Taylor Swift show me the action so it's, it's, it's hilarious <laughs> the thing is I'm, I'm a League United fan if uh, anyone like Taylor Swift wants to come and yeah. uh, you know uh, boost our coffers you're yeah. more than welcome to do it yeah we can do it all the help you can get I suppose but, uh, but listen oh god Rossi, absolutely that's great listen thanks for doing the, the Friends experience in Dublin for us that's great a pleasure to talk to you uh, this morning amazing thank you Joe Shea sitting in for PJ this morning uh, looking out it's the sun is starting to come out across Cork and it's great let's hope we have some really you know clear non-rainy non-stormy weather for the jazz weekend because it's one of the biggest ones of the year now having a strong password is vital to avoid hacking but they can be the bane of our lives trying to remember them trying to get them right which one works for, works for which website and all that kind of stuff Adrian Weckler is the tech editor with the Irish Independent uh, good morning Adrian? Good good morning, Joe. Um, Listen, tell us about this. There's been a kind of a survey or study done into the most used passwords in in Ireland. And um, it threw up some kind of uh, surprising results, I suppose, and maybe people not taking passwords as seriously as they should. For instance, the most guessable password is, uh, I'm sure you're going to tell us now. Yeah, (laughs) it is. One, two, three, four, five, six. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) People yeah, st- and follow, followed by yeah. password. Password, of course. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. a decade or more of people warning about scams and about hacking and about you know mm-hmm. people breaking into your bank accounts. Is there any explanation as to why people are still using one, two, three, four, five, six, and password as their password? I think there is. I, I think so. The reason we know this is that it turns up, these passwords turn up in big data breach files that are retrieved. Whenever there's a data breach, often the uh, the company involved will have to uh, go through a process uh, around what 
details and which accounts were uh, breached. And from that, they can analyze sometimes what the passwords were because they were published on the dark web or elsewhere. And in many cases, some of the accounts would be, some of them will be email accounts. Um, they're unlikely to be things like, you know, um, financial accounts because you have to go through two or three layers usually yes. with those. And usually there's a pin code and that, that that's much less likely. Like if you think about it, the number of accounts online that we have, I mean, I'd be very surprised if you have fewer than 30. Yeah. I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Because everything from Gmail to Netflix to, you know, services that you signed up for five years ago that you forgot about mm. to Amazon to, you know, you've so many accounts. And anytime there's a data breach uh, at one of these giant companies, and there are hundreds of data breaches every year, um, those passwords are potentially compromised and that's how we know that you're using the same and if you do have 30 uh, by the way online accounts the chances are you're not going to use radically different passwords yeah. for them i was Oops. just i was just about to say because i committed the ultimate crime and i'm not going to say it but i have the same password <laughs> for like most of my accounts because i got mm-hmm. so sick of trying to remember them all and i use you know in chrome your password manager which is yep. a lifesaver but um yep. But I use the same password for a lot of accounts, and that's 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 wrong, basically, isn't it? Now, okay, so and like the correct advice would be change your password every few months, make it a really hard to remember, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a, a secret, and that most people don't do that. So I'm going to give you advice, yes. okay? Because if you are, I'm going to assume that your experience is very similar to many people's experience and you've got the same password for a lot of different accounts and you've used it for a few years now here's what you can do to just make it a little bit harder um uh, to get to guess or to to breach what you can do is you can keep the same password you're using let's say it's a name or something you know you remember but then you can insert the name of the service either before or at the end of it that's a good idea. So you're still using the same password, so you'll still remember it, but you'll just have the name of the service. Now, by doing that, you're adding usually at least five or six different letters or figures or characters to it, which automatically makes it a lot more secure. And it means that if you have, if, if, if it's breached, it's harder for them to guess. Like somebody who's really clever might guess that you're doing that with yeah. the different services, but it's harder. Yeah, no, that's a really good. That's a really good idea. Actually, I wouldn't have thought of that. Now, tell us about the Gardaí because I mean we've had some yep. serious, huge data breaches in Ireland recently. But the Gardaí kind of mm. are, are they? They got they basically got a lot of bad publicity, didn't they? For the for drivers' mm. uh, personal information, what happened there? What happened there? It was it's kind of a complicated one. So when you get your car towed for parking on double yellow line it's a, that's an offence and it's the guards who are supposed to enforce that but they don't have the manpower or the resources to do it so the tow truck that actually takes your car is actually a private company that's contracted with the guards okay yeah. now there's a bunch of those tow truck companies and they use an online IT service provider for their for the information. So if you're following me, you have the guards, you now have the tow truck companies, which are private companies contracted with the guards, and now you have a third company, the, the IT services company, which is contracted with the tow truck operator. Right. And the breach happened in the IT services company. So it was the tow truck uh, uh, information with 
you know, driver's licenses. Because when you go to get your car back yes. from Japan, you have to show your driver's license. You have to pay for it. This is like a debit card. Yeah. You have to, and there's all sorts of processes and yeah. documentation. Around that. that was the data that was mm. uh, leaked. Now, so when I say that this does involve the Gardaí because ultimately it's at the Gardaí's behest and the state's behest that these laws are there and, and that these um, cars are being towed. But it wasn't actually their system or database breach. It was the system of the IT contractor which was used for that service, if that makes sense. And let me guess, everybody's rushing to take responsibility for this, are they? (laughs) Yeah, oh, absolutely. (laughs) Actually, it's fun. Nobody, so I got into the Data Protection Commissioner about it, and they're investigating, but they said they can't find, like, as, as far as they're concerned, nobody's told them they're responsible yet. So it's going to be one of those three. It's probably going to be one of two, either yeah. the tow trucks or the IT service company. It's, well, um, my own Cork Bureau covered this, the the the, uh, the password story. And we got some information from Dr. Mm-hmm. Hazel Murray, uh, who's a security expert in MTU here in Cork. And she said there's actually, yep. they've found as well that there are uniquely Cork passwords. And uh, if you want to hear yeah. them, I don't know how much they're going to make sense to you. Number one, which may not surprise a lot of people, the number one password used uniquely to Cork is Langer. Um, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. They also Cork City FC, Roy Keane, Just Cork City, Shandon Bells, Carrigaline. Um, would they have been related, Langer and Roy Keane? No, no, first God, no. <laughs> you, Do you want to come back on this show at, at any stage or visit Cork at any stage? <laughs> yeah, set a Dubliner, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Anyway. Uh, Carrigaline Tanora is one that's very popular in Cork, which is our, our local famous uh, soft drink, and Barry's Tea as well. Um, so, mm. you know, so if anybody ever wants to hack into a, a, a Cork person's personal well, details. Do you know what's funny? It, the, the figures that I saw, Roy Keane was used 2,862 times. Yeah. U2 Bono was yeah. used 2,345 times. Yeah. Conor McGregor was used... 46, 46 times. times, yeah, which is no, so that's Roy Keane's his way popularity. More. Yeah. yeah, his popularity Roy, is overstated. Yeah, yeah Roy Keane's way, way more popular. Yeah. So basically, when we're choosing a password, what's, what's the best advice? Best of, well, there's two approaches. Mm. Number Approach number one is use a password generator, and that will be, you know, your browser or your, like, Apple will sometimes do it for you on an yeah. iPhone or an iPad. Um, uh, and that's like, you know, like a 14 characters, letters, and you won't remember it, but your device will. The problem with that is that that ties you into the devices. So Mm. if you're using iPhones and iPads and Macs, that's fine. But then what happens if you use a Windows PC or even Android phone? The second option is to use, you know, services like 1Password or those secure password. They're pretty good, but you pay a subscription mostly for those. And then the third is to have your own system. And that can be something like I suggested to you, just have the name of the service plus a regular password. Even still, but that's a lot less secure than the first two. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you, you want at least 10 characters and you want numbers and, and you want special characters in there as you well. You do. Yeah. You do. Mm. You do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So not just the name, the, if, you had a, if, you had a, if you had a dog called Prince or Spot at some stage, don't just say, do that. Don't just use that. <laughs> no, the fewer characters uh, you have, the the, the you know yeah. the riskier it okay. is. Um, yeah. Okay, Adrian, Adrian Weckler, tech editor, Irish Independent. Thanks for actually talking to us this morning.
It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ this morning. Now get your jazz hands at the ready because it is, yes, the bank holiday weekend, the October bank holiday weekend, which means it's the Guinness Jazz Festival in Cork. And the good news for people who want to come in from maybe from the outside of Cork, from the suburbs of Cork, is that there's going to be more buses. Uh, Labour Councillor John Maher, good morning. Good morning, Joe. How are things? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad, though. I'm not too bad. Um, I'm not sure about the the intro, but there, I don't think there are going to be buses, and that's the issue. Oh right, okay. I'm yeah. sorry. I sorry. I I, I was I, I was I misunderstood. So there's. I thought there was there were going to be more buses laid on extra buses. But that's not uh, no. the case, is it? No, no, no. That's not the case, and oh, that's the right. issue. But I, 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 do you know what, Joe? You you've kicked off a good a good week yourself and Gareth. You've been talking about the the floodworks um, and how the bureaucracy within within the OPW and councils and government um, you've hit on the um, and now you're hitting on the buses. Yeah. Um, and we have the bureaucracy between Bus Aaron and the NTA and the I suppose and the um, and the exclusion of local council and how we see things and the water is another issue that you brought up this morning again. Yeah where we have water issues going across the, the community, um, Balabalan and, and Gardner's Hill in the northeast ward. Yeah. And yet again, local councils are, are kind of at the outside, and it's very, very frustrating. But on the buses issue, again, it's something that I believe during COVID, maybe people were left off the hook because, you know, we, you know, we did things differently and we weren't meeting uh, in, in groups and we weren't celebrating things like the jazz, which is an incredible thing for the city um, but, um, but and prior to COVID we always had buses late night buses in particular that would leave the city at 12, 1, 2 and 3 from yeah. it was mainly from the Savoy for me anyway and that's where I would have got my bus um, and again if we follow on to Christmas the same would have happened and I suppose it's very frustrating as somebody who uses the bus but also as a councillor when we have something and it was working and we lose it Mm. So that's um, the situation, like, and it's important as well because we're coming up to Christmas as well. Well, of course, we want as many people as possible to come in, enjoy the city centre, support the businesses in the city centre, and kind of and and make Cork what it what it can be for Christmas. But but buses are going to be an issue as well there. That's it. Well, you know, like we want as many people to come into the city as possible. Yeah. You know, that that's a, that's I think that's what the businesses want. Number one, yeah. um, whether it's for shopping, whether it's for socialising, eating, drinking, whatever, entertainment, we want the people to come into the city. And um, you know, we put on a big Christmas show. It's, it, it's a nice. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the Christmas experience around our city. And I think the more that we can share that with with people from the mm-hmm. county in particular, I think that's a positive thing. Um, you know, and this late night bus that we had, whether it be the jazz or Christmas, yeah. um, you know, we don't have any more. And again, um, we uh, following a motion for myself, we invited bus airing in to the transport, um, um, the SPC, the Roads and Transportation SPC of, of Cork City Council. Um, now, again, you know, when bus airing came before us, they gave us the answers. But the answers lay with the NTA. Again, and it's just this bureaucratic nonsense is what I'm going to call it. Because the idea that we had something that was working, yeah, you know. Now, Bus Aaron assured us, and I, I believe them, that they applied uh, to the NTA for extra funding to put on this service. And as of two weeks ago, when we sat at the committee and they came in and they presented to us, um, and they hadn't an answer. Mm. Now, I, you know, I've not the game by saying this, but I think that just shows what the NTA are at, that they didn't even answer. Yeah. 
you know, there's, I mean, when you can't even get the, uh, something like the uh, a body like the NTA to actually engage, that shows that the cork is not on the radar at all in some respects. It's it, yeah, it's worrying, and and again, I'm sure now someone will send out a press release about what they're putting into the bus connects and what they're putting into the trains, and and that's yeah. all great. That's all great stuff for the future, but in the here and now, where we want the city to thrive, we want people to come in. Obviously, businesses want people to come in, um, and yet we can't put on a late-night bus service having requested it as an elected council. Yeah, it's not going to be there for the jazz, obviously. So, and I mean, it was there before. Well, well, what... well, Joe, if it is, if it is, <laughs> it knock me down with a feather, you know. Yeah. I mean, it is now Thursday. Yeah. Of a flagship weekend for yeah. Cork City Centre. Huge. Yeah. You know, it is absolutely, and it will be, it will be brilliant, and it yeah. will be successful. Yeah. But again, it goes back to this thing, and if we want to talk about the bigger issue of changing people's habits and asking them and encouraging them to take the bus and stay yeah. away from the car, yet on the biggest, the biggest festival we have in the city, we do not have a late night bus. Okay. No, there's something not adding up there. Final yeah. question for you. Are you going to be chasing them, or chasing the NTA and chasing bus Aaron on extra buses for Christmas? I ha- yeah, absolutely, and I have been. And, and, and Joe, it's, it's interesting that in the four and a half years that I've been elected, it was the first time the bus Aaron had come before the elected councillors yeah. following my motion. And I think there's another part of the disconnect is that, you know, if bus Aaron or I know as we've learned, it's the NTA. Now again, Three years ago, the NTA following a motion for myself came to address the council. Yeah. But obviously that wasn't good enough. Now okay. that we know more as this unfolds, yeah. is that if the NTA are not providing bus airing with the services of something that we already had. Yeah. Cork always had a late night we bus did, service yeah. of the jazz and Christmas. Yeah, no, that's and what that, that was my, my initial confusion because I thought it was like, yay, it's coming back. Yeah. You know. No, <laughs> well, if yeah. it is, Joe, if it is coming back, they haven't publicized it, considering that we asked the question two weeks ago, yeah. uh, I would have th- thought yeah. that the local councillors of okay. the city would deserve an answer or a reply. Um, and we haven't got that today. So okay. it's frustrating on the number of levels. But, but most importantly, for the people that want to come to Cork, yeah. for the businesses in Cork, that we want to bring in the people. Okay. Um, but I don't doubt the jazz will still be a success. No, it will but be. But this is something that can make it better, yeah. you know? Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on the Christmas situation. Councillor John Maher, thanks for talking so, to us so this Cheers. Now, um, with the weather is being the way it's been recently, I think a lot of people might be looking at places like Dubai and wondering if that's the place that they need to live. Because uh, more and more people are setting up home in the United Arab Emirates. It's become very trendy. It's a great place to live. The people over there, it's a very stylish kind of place as well. Now, in the Echo, uh, Timothy O'Man, he's been speaking to Corkonians, Corkonians all over the world uh, over the last few weeks. And uh, one of those people is now ready to talk to us live from Dubai, uh, Douglas girl, uh, Miriam El-Madi. Uh, good morning, Miriam. Hi, Joe, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for getting no, me to chat thanks, today. Thanks for taking the call. What what time is it in Dubai at the moment, Absolutely. actually? It's lunchtime now, so it's right. 2.30. Yeah, and it's lashing rain probably, is it? Cold, yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> Do you know what? It actually rained this morning. No joke. I and saw, it never I, rains. <laughs> I saw it on social media. Yeah. And, it's, and it's so rare that I saw the, 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 the Gulf News newspaper had like the main headline was, yes. it's raining in Dubai, as if this is as if this huge deal, you know. So you actually have to have some rain today. It's actually lovely. Like, yeah. it feels like a little autumn day. It's a little uh, bit dull. It's actually, you know, you appreciate the things that you can't have. <laughs> exactly. So, how did you tell us, uh, give us the potted version. How did you end up in going from Douglas to Dubai? 
Right. Um, well, I suppose I I ended up coming on a holiday, first of all, mm. um, with a friend. And um, we kind of were on the beach one day and it was like our last day um, looking out at the water and like literally in tears, you know, yourself like, yeah. oh, I have to go back now. Um, and I went to the bathroom and there was a few Irish girls in the toilet. And I was like, girls, can you imagine if this was your life? And they were like, yeah, we're teachers. We live here. And I was like, what? Mm. Like you can actually live here every single, like this can be your life every weekend. So I guess that kind of just like allowed me to open my mind as to the possibilities of, you know, like not living in Cork. Um, So I started applying for jobs. Um, I'm an occupational therapist. Um, And at the time I had just finished uh, college. So uh, I didn't have any experience really. So, so Dubai wasn't the place really. Um, But Bahrain was this little island next to Saudi. So I actually ended up there for six years, loving life. Um, And uh, eventually then moving on to Dubai once I got my experience and everything. And um, I met my husband in Bahrain. So he's now working in Dubai. So it's all worked out. He's from Hartlepool, so oh, like the right. north of England. Yeah, north of England, yeah. Yeah. I know, but like, yeah. you know, I'm just trying to think now. Endless sunshine, tax-free, uh, great lifestyle, fantastic place. Well, I mean, why would you want to live in Dubai? You know, I mean, you're, you're missing out on a lot, surely, by being over there. <laughs> oh, do you know what? Like, honestly, Cork and Ireland just is so unique in itself like yeah. it's so like the people are so amazing and to be honest like we all flock together here you know yeah um so we do miss home we absolutely do miss like the irish traditions like unfortunately this year now um we're not going to be going back to cork for christmas but mm. like that it's just such a unique experience i've had americans come over to ireland for christmas and they've said it was the best experience of their lives yeah. so they're huge huge perks to living out here absolutely um like i said in the article like work hard play hard and I mean so many of my friends I mean like you jump from a lot of people jump from job to job because it just gets so intense you know like burnout is such a real thing here so um so luckily yeah the lifestyle though it's like I've been to Dubai uh, and it's almost like being living inside an influence living inside Instagram is is one way to describe what Dubai feels like sometimes because people are, are into their fashion they're into you know their looks they're into their cars everybody seems to drive these amazing cars it's a seductive kind of lifestyle I find would you agree with that? Absolutely it's all bling bling isn't it It but like you find your after a while you settle and you find your friends and you don't be going out so much and Mm. you kind of like I'm 33 now so like we fully enjoy a night like sitting outside someone's um, I don't want to sound pretentious. Someone's villa, you know, having a barbecue <laughs> by, and just chatting pool, around. Yes, as you do. Is it for long term though? Do you see yourself staying in Dubai? It can be for people. I'm not too sure myself yet. Um, I think it's a very year to year kind of thing as well. I think things can change. You know, it's a very temporary place yeah. in terms of like friendships and lifestyle and living as well. Things can change. You never know. Um, I'm happy for, in my ho- job. Ali's happy in his job. You're but, happy yeah. and, it, and it's home for the moment. And, and it is, it, in fairness, I did say it's like living inside Instagram, but there, there's some great people there and great community as well, isn't there? Especially with the Irish and, and the British and the Scots as well lots of big expat communities oh it's brilliant even for the rugby now it is just unreal the amount of um like people in the pub like the south africa one there with the english that was hilarious to watch but like you know the irish then even 
we're always just a bit of crack. Like there's yeah. no malice or, you know, bad intention. You just see how Irish are abroad. It's fab. Um, but, um, well, Miriam, like it sounds, yeah. it's, it's great to talk to you and it sounds, it sounds exciting and it sounds lovely. Um, you'll be, uh, sorry to hear that it's raining in Cork at the moment, but it's raining in Dubai as well. So it's, you'd be, you'd, be, yeah. you'd be back to sunshine pretty soon. Miriam Elmadi, uh, thanks very much for talking to us this morning and, uh, and the best of luck with your life in Dubai. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Okay, cheers. Okay, today's show is edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Uh, thank you to Wayne on the desk helping me out here. We're back tomorrow from 9am.